Welcome to the New Hope Church Podcast. We're currently in a series titled, Mark, Stories of Jesus Christ. In this series, our senior pastor, Dr. Benji Kelly, leads us through the Gospel of Mark. We started in chapter 1, and the series will culminate on Easter Sunday morning, celebrating the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We hope you enjoy this incredible message today. Thank you for being a part of our church family. and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. How are you guys doing? It's, uh, it's good to see all of you. It is a, uh, it's an exciting day. There's a, there's a buzz in the air, and I'm, uh, I'm excited to be a part of it. I want to welcome in all of our campuses, uh, those of you who are watching online or on TV, wherever you may be and however you may be joining us, welcome. We are, uh, we're glad to have you, and we're glad to have all of you that are here at Central as, as well. We are launching into what is traditionally called Holy Week. And uh, for those of you that are like, what, what in the world is Holy Week? That's, don't, don't worry, don't fret. Holy Week is just a simple way of saying it's a set-apart week. And uh, the, the church has been calling it that for uh, nearly 2,000 years. It is a set-apart week where we are uh, remembering and celebrating what, uh, what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. And what's interesting is you don't even have to be a follower of Christ to, uh, to agree that it's a set-apart week right? Jesus's life has turned the world upside down for the last 2,000 years. And so today we're going to remember that. We're going to celebrate that. And wherever you may be and wherever you may be accessing this uh, scripture and whatever your background may be, welcome. We are, uh, we are glad to have you. We're actually doing something special today to sort of commemorate this uh, important Sunday. Uh, Pastor Benji and I are actually going to team teach, or we're going to tag team today, if that's okay with, uh, with all of you. We're going to do something, uh, something kind of fun. I'm excited about it. So I'm going to start, all right, I'm going to start us off, and then midway through, we're going to tag team, and Pastor Benji's going to come up and finish it off. And where he's going to land I want to let set, you know, the, uh, the trajectory. He's going to center in on the most important topic in all of Christianity, okay? So I want you guys to lean in closely because we're going to hit it uh, really hard today. But let me start off with a question. All right, let me start off with a, uh, with a question. Have you ever noticed how expectations frame our reaction to situations? Let me say that again. Expectations will often frame our reaction to situations. And I, want, I need to say that because it's important as we hop in to this, uh, this Palm Sunday text. There's, there's expectations all across the board, and they're varying, all right? No, no matter who we, we witness in this passage today, all of the expectations are different, all right? So let me just ask you a question as we, as we get into it. What is your expectation of Jesus? Because even you bring an expectation to this passage today. Now think about it, right? This idea of expectation. It's, it's why we love surprise parties, right? Well, what you thought might have just been a mundane, ordinary day all of a sudden became special, right? You've, you've been there. Now, if, if it's your 40th birthday and you were expecting a BMW from your spouse and you get a surprise party, not the same, not the same right? Expectations frame our reaction to situations. Most friendships rise and fall on expectations. If you're expecting one thing from a friend and they do another, you feel undervalued. If you expect your boss to give you a raise and you get a pat on the back, right, you feel unappreciated. If you're going out for your 10th uh, anniversary of your first date, 
right, and you're not married, and you take your girlfriend out for frozen yogurt and a cheeseburger, there's a whole, we got we got all kinds of things to talk about, right? I mean, we we I don't we can't even start here. We can just simply quote Beyonce, right? If you if you like it, you should have put a ring on it, right? Because she's she's gone, she's gone. On special days, we learned that in seminary. You can quote Beyonce. It's okay. It's all right. I like this one. I like this one. This one. This one's kind of funny. As we're talking about expectations, have you ever noticed the Dunkin' Donuts logo? If you guys want to go ahead and throw that up on the screen. You know, it says, America runs on Dunkin'. So here's the deal. If you go to Dunkin' Donuts, you expect to run out of there like that person on the screen, and you're going to become more fit after you leave Dunkin' Donuts, you need to change your expectations. You need to change your expectations, right? If you expect, so we're like, we're in the middle of the NCAA tournament right now. There's a lot of basketball fans among us. If you expect a North Carolina team to win the NCAA tournament, I'm sorry. I know. I know, you got to know your crowd, right? you, you got to know your crowd. I'm an Indiana fan, so we'll, we'll move on. Expectations, expectations frame our reactions to situations. I remember one Christmas, I was probably around 10 years old, right? I thought Christmas was over. It was a great Christmas, and we went in, and we opened presents, and it was an exciting morning, and we, were, we, we thought everything was done. It was now time to move on to, to breakfast, and then my dad says, hey, Come look at this. And my, my brother and I, we, we, we went running to our back door. And there our eyes beheld everything we've been asking for for probably the last five Christmases, right? We forever wanted some kind of like a dirt bike or a three-wheeler or something. This was back when there were three-wheelers, right? There's no, they're all four-wheelers. Now, we went out there, and there was one of each, a dirt bike and a three-wheeler right there waiting on my brother and I. There was this great picture that just sort of caught us like, because we had no idea. We thought we, we already had a great Christmas, right? Expectations frame our reaction to situations. I want to ask you a question today. I want you to really think about it. I want you to, regardless of how many times you've been to church, if this is your first or your hundredth or you've been going to church your whole life, I want you to think about it deeply. What are your, what are your expectations of Jesus? What are your expectations of of Jesus, based on what you know of church, of Christians, the Bible, billboards, and pop culture, whatever it might be, what are your expectations of Jesus? And I wonder today, what if the real Jesus is very different from the perceived Jesus? What if everything you thought about him was actually different than you expected? What if Jesus was actually much more personal than an aloof God who didn't care? What if he was right with you? What if Jesus did something for you when you least expected it and when you least deserved it? See, today we're going to dive into this traditional text. It's known as the Palm Sunday text. And I want to ask you to change your expectations of what you're going to encounter. I want you to change your expectations of what you're going to encounter. See, we miss so much when we read it with our 21st century lens. But here's what's actually very interesting. Jesus' followers and those who were there experiencing Jesus at that time, they actually encountered something very different than what they expected. Jesus is often you know, seen in, in a light that's, that's very different than the way he wants to be seen. So we're going to dive into Mark chapter 11 today. That's where we're going to start. That's where we're going to launch into where Pastor Benji is going to take us later on. And last we saw Jesus, he was transfigured, right? You remember last week he was up on top of the mountain and he was glowing and glorious. And today we're going to see him riding on the back of a donkey. You need to to get that trajectory, right, of what's what's taking place. Jesus is uh, doing something different. His disciples know this is a pivotal point in the story. So let's hop into it. Let's hop into it. The the video that, that, that introduced all of this mentioned that Jesus comes riding in on a donkey. I want to start it right there at verse 6. Mark 11, verse 6. They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. It's just simply Jesus had told them to go and get this colt. People often think it was most, most likely a, a donkey. Jesus, this, you, you should notice this, right? He's walked everywhere that he's ever gone, and yet this time when he rides in, when he goes into the city, he's riding in. Something different is taking place. Verse 7. When they brought the colt of the donkey to Jesus, and th- they threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. This was a sign of deference to Jesus, right? They were, they were taking off their outer clothing, and they were laying it on the back of the donkey. This was, they were taking something from themselves and putting it beneath 
Jesus. They know something different is coming, but I wonder if their expectations are the same as Jesus's. Let's keep reading in verse 8. Many people spread their cloaks on the road. They're doing the same thing. They're, they're getting beneath Jesus. While others spread branches they've cut in the fields. There's something that's, a, that's about to happen. There's, there's expectations that are taking place, right? This wasn't uncommon in the ancient world for there to be a procession into the city, okay? And then that's exactly what's taking place here. Verse 9, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna just simply means save or, or save us. They're, they're crying out to this Jesus to save us. Now, in our 21st century lens, we would typically say, like, we think that they're, they're, they're saying, save our souls. But I don't think that's what they're saying at all. That's probably the furthest thing from their minds in this moment. They're actually saying, save us from those Roman oppressors. Do you catch that? This is very different than what we think we're we're seeing reading back. They're saying, save us from those guys, the bad guys. We want a new kingdom where we're in charge of it. The Jews, we have our own. The the world will look at this glowing, dazzling thing, right? So when they say save, they're not saying save our souls. They're saying save us from those guys, all right? So when, and then it goes on, blessed is he who comes in the name of, of the Lord. I think we would look at this and say, well, they're saying they're, they're calling him the Son of God. Some may be, but for the most part, most of them are probably saying the, the messenger, the person, the prophet, or the teacher who's coming in the name of the Lord. All, right? they, all of them, I don't think they all get it just yet that he's the Son of God. So that, that's where we're at right now. Verse 10. This is when the expectations really shoot off. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna. In the highest, save us in the highest possible form, right? They're, they're starting to cast things on him. They're actually calling this guy the Messiah, but the Messiah didn't necessarily mean the Son of God. They're, they're putting it really high up there. Save us in the highest form, but we need to catch what was there at the beginning of the verse. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Are you, are you catching what's happening? As, as Jesus is riding in and they're, they're throwing palm branches and they're, they're, they're outer garments beneath Jesus... They're saying this guy is going to institute this new rule. He's going to overturn the Romans, and he's going to be the king of this earthly kingdom. All right? So these are the expectations as Jesus is riding in. Now, verse 11. It seems like we're we're heading up to a climax, and then verse 11 is very anticlimactic. Verse 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, isn't this interesting? There's this grand procession, however grand it is. We can talk about that, right? There's probably far more grander ones where where kings were riding on horses and there there were chariots and there there were hundreds of people taking them in. It's just simply Jesus, the humble servant, riding on the back of a donkey. There's this procession, and people are, are claiming that he is this one who's going to start this new kingdom. And the closer they get to the center of what was their religion, no one even cares. Have you ever noticed that before? There was this grand procession that was taking place, and as they get to the temple, no one even cares. You might think, what, what, what did the disciples expect at this moment, right? They, they believe that this temple dedicated to their God, this guy is the Son of God, and no one even bats an eye and thinks twice about it. So Jesus walks in, and he looks around, and it says, and he goes out. So he walks in, and he looks at the temple. This sets up verse, verse 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. It's, it's a very profound passage, right? Jesus was hungry. Now, lest we forget that the Son of God was also human, right? Mark makes sure he puts it in there. He was hungry, just like, just like we get hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, it was full. It looked like it was ready for harvest. He went to find out if it had any fruit because it was full. It, was, it had all the leaves. It should have been bearing fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves. He went in, he pulled it back. There was nothing but leaves. Because it was not the season for figs. Verse 14. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Now, what's going on here, right? Is Jesus just having a really bad day? Right? I mean, is he mad? Like, did he think that, like, this this procession was going to end, you know, far better than it did? 
Not at all. Jesus is setting something up. Mark's helping us understand what Jesus is about to do, right? This, this fig tree was supposed to have fruit. It was out of season, but it had the, the appearance of being ready. You catching that? On the outside, it looked like it was ready for harvest. It was ready for what it was created to do. And nothing could be further from the truth. It's not ready at all. So let's, uh, let's, let's, let's keep on reading. Verse 15. Read from 15 through 17. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Now, if you thought Jesus was having a bad day before when he cursed the fig tree, right? It's just, it's getting worse. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. You have made it a den of robbers. See, the Jews expected a, a conquering hero, and yet Jesus was this humble servant that was coming in. You see, when Jesus was cursing the fig tree, it was a statement on the temple. Are you following this? It wasn't, they were, they're, they're not separated. Mark's actually saying it up very nicely for us. The temple, just like the fig tree, had the appearance that it was ready. It looked like God's activity was happening inside, that fruit was taking place. And when Jesus walks in, there's people in there, and they're buying and they're selling. And not only are they buying and selling, they're actually robbing the people who are coming from afar to offer up their sacrifices and get forgiveness from God. They, they, they knew they couldn't carry their sacrifices with them many, many, many miles. And so when they came, they would buy their sacrifices, and there's people inside that are robbing them left and right. You couldn't get in unless you could pay the price. Now, what we need to, to set up and, and think through as Pastor Benji is going to come here in just a minute is what's taking place here? What is, what is actually happening? They have the appearance that they're ready for this new kingdom to take place, right? And Jesus walks in and they're not ready at all. They want an earthly kingdom that Jesus would establish and be this conquering hero over. And Jesus comes as this humble servant. They expect Jesus to overrule the outsiders, and Jesus overturns the insiders. They expect Jesus to launch this revolution on the Romans, and yet he institutes this revolution of servanthood as he's whirling in. See, the temple was supposed to be a place for personal forgiveness, and it had become a place of personal profit. It was supposed to be a place of personal forgiveness. It had become a place of personal profit. And here's what we see in all of this. Jesus was not what the Jews expected, but he was the very thing that they needed. He was the very thing that they needed. So if I were you in this moment, I would be saying, well, so what? Right? Like, what's, what's the point? Where is this going? Here's what we hope you see today. You see, the very people who are proclaiming Hosanna, save us. In just a few short days are the very people who are going to say, when given the choice between Jesus and Barabbas, they say, give us Barabbas, that Jesus you can kill. Now, isn't that interesting? The very people who are supposed to be overseeing the temple to make it a place where people from all nations could come and receive forgiveness and meet with God, and yet they had overturned it and made a den of robbers. These very people who are turning Jesus over to be killed are the very ones for which he's giving his life for. They're the very ones that he is turning himself over to. People would come from around the world to, to offer up sacrifices to be forgiven, and they were having a hard time even getting in. And Jesus, we're going to see very soon, is going to offer his life for them once and for all. Once and for all. So before Pastor Benji comes, let me ask you this question one more time. What do you expect of Jesus? What do you expect of Jesus? What if who he is and what he does for you is far beyond what you expected? I want you to think about that. And before Pastor Benji comes up, we've got a short video to kind of take us into the next step. Take a look at this. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. 
and taking the twelve again he began to tell them what was to happen to him saying see we are going up to jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and after three days he will rise Okay, we tracking so far? If you love that dude, Pastor Chad, like I do, would you give him some love? Love him, love him, love him. Love him, love him, love him, but I'm going to set him straight in just a moment when I talk about something, and I'm going to have to talk about basketball for just a moment, and then I'm going to set him straight. But that's in just a moment. Uh, so what in the world, what in the world is going on here? Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. We have these expectations. We're actually seeing that uh, he's turning the world upside down, if you will, in terms of our expectations. And the reality is they had not picked up on the fact that Jesus had let them know what was going to happen. I mean, remember, we're in a series on Mark. And for those of you who've been studying Mark with me or reading the New Testament over the course of the six-month period that we're in, you might catch yourself saying, how did they not know? I mean, you might recall that in, in Mark 14, 58, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days will build another not made with hands. Now, guys, when they heard that, they freaked out. Pastor Chad just did a great job of talking about the expectations and the importance of the temple. Jesus comes in and says, hey, you're going to destroy this temple and I'm going to build it up in three days. They freak out. Again, expectations. And you might recall this in Mark 10, 45, one of my favorite verses in the gospel of Mark. For even the son of man, why don't we read this out loud together? You ready to read some scripture? Let's go. Ready? Go. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As a what? Ransom. As a what? Ransom. What is that all about? See, see what, what I want to do in my remaining time left today is I want to unpack the core essential message of the gospel. I want to very simply make sure every single person within the sound of my voice, every single person at all of our campuses, I want to make sure that you all have a stranglehold on what the gospel means with clarity. Because to be honest with you, I'm still quite amazed at how many people I come across who've actually grown up in the church. And, and somewhere along the way, they were either not taught or they lost it. And they're still just a little fuzzy, a little confused on the gospel. And beloved, we can't, we can't have a church where anyone is unclear on the core essential nature of the gospel. I don't want anyone to miss this. So lean in, grab your teaching notes if you haven't already, grab that pen, take some notes. The way I'm going to do this is I'm going to bring two words together. Two words together. The first word that I want to talk to you about today is substitute. Write it in. Substitute. Say it with me. Substitute. Again, substitute. So like those of you in the basketball world, those of you who are watching the tournament, and, and, and I want to speak uh, prophetically that you just spoke heresy in our church <laughs> when you said no Carolina team is going to win this. How dare thee? Get thee behind us, beloved. <laughs> Amen? Uh, um, and what happened, dude? I know you're from Indiana, and I know you're an Indiana fan, but you also went to Duke with me. It obviously didn't work. Okay. Um, so in basketball, those of you who don't know sports, I'm going to teach you a few things right now. In basketball, how many players play on the court for each team? Five. And then there's a bench. 
The bench is made up of substitutes. I've got five kids. I've got a basketball team. I tried very hard to get Amy Lynn to let's have a substitute. She said, forget about it. We don't have a substitute. Um, but a substitute, we all know what that is. It's someone who comes in place for another. We, we should all get this. Here's, here's another um, illustration that will bring it more to light. How many of you, when you were in grade school, um, loved it when you walked into the class and the first thing you saw was a substitute teacher? God, forgive us for all the things we did to substitute teachers. If you're a Christian and you were a part of that like me and you have not asked for forgiveness, in the name of Jesus, you need to confess your sins. And if you're a substitute teacher, any substitute teachers in the house? See, I saw a few hands. One way back. We are so sorry. No human being should ever go through what substitute teachers go through. But we get this concept, right? A substitute teacher, a substitute athlete. A substitute is someone who takes the place of another. Write, write that in. A substitute is someone who takes the place of another. Word number two. First word is what? Word number two, atonement. Write it in. Atonement. Atonement. Just push pause for a moment and, and let your mind start reeling through what you believe atonement stands for. The word atonement is the idea of paying a price for a wrongdoing. So, you go out of here today. You get a speeding ticket. You're doing 55 in a 35 mile an hour zone. Ouch. And you say, well, hopefully I don't have a new hope magnet on my car. <laughs> it's okay, beloved. You can maybe talk to the cop about coming to church. I mean, invite him before as he's writing you a ticket. Say, sir, can I tell you about my church? I mean, invite him. But, but um, you get a ticket, you know, you're going to have to pay a fine unless you're a smooth talker. And you can get your way out of it, right? Right? April 15th is coming up. Mm. I, I wish you could have seen the expressions on your face right there. Right there. I mean, I know it's a bad subject. But if you cheat on your taxes and you get caught, you will have to pay a fine. There will be some sort of payment that is required for that. Let's, let's take it up a notch or two. Those are, those are serious, but they're not nearly as serious as this. How many of you have been following at all the rape case in Steuberville, Ohio? You couldn't miss it. It's, it's been everywhere on the news. It's awful. It has really upset me. I believe we're actually seeing in our culture a kind of winking at a rape. I think we're seeing in our culture a kind of abuse of people. And I think in our culture, I'm not talking about the Christian culture by no means, but I think in our culture, we've kind of, we've kind of softened our stance on this. But if you haven't followed it, it's basically a big football town. And there was a big party at a few different houses. And there were two star football players, and um, they gathered around a young woman who unfortunately was drunk out of her mind, and they raped her. And if you haven't seen it, here's a, here's a picture of these guys, okay? Here's a picture of these guys. These are the two boys that did it. And um, it, it's, it's just, and then, and then the, the people that saw it and were a part of it, they lit up social media. And basically, and even these boys did, basically indicted themselves with their social media, Facebook, and tweet updates. It's just awful. Now, now I don't want to go down that road too far, but I just want to ask you this question. And they, they have been found guilty, by the way. And so I'm not, I'm not saying that they're guilty and they're not. They have been found guilty and they've actually apologized. Maybe you saw that moving courtroom scene uh, where one just kind of collapses because he's so broken over this deal. Here, here's my question to you. Do you believe that those two boys 
who raped that girl, do you believe there should be a payment? There should be a penalty. There should be a consequence for that sin. Show of hands. You can just be honest about it. Do you believe there should be justice? I think I see every hand coming up in here. If your hand is not up, I hope either you're just too moved by it and you don't want to op- uh, lift your hand, or I hope it's not that you don't think justice should be um, executed. There is a sense in which there is a, a conscience within all of us that believes if something is done wrong and the person is guilty, there should be a sense of atonement. There should be justice that is delivered. Now what I want to do is, I told you, I want to put these two words together. The first word is what? And the second word is what? Now let me walk you through scripture for a moment. If you go back to the the creation story in Genesis, God creates who? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, they're created, check it out, they're placed in this beautiful garden. It was paradise. And God said, eat of any tree you want to eat of. In other words, you are free to be gluttonous. Eat of any tree. Just don't you dare touch that tree in the center of the garden. I mean, guys, they had it made. They could eat of all the trees. And besides that, they were naked. (laughs) Or as they say, where I'm from, naked. They were naked. They couldn't think of anything better to do. (laughs) Really? You're naked. You can be gluttonous. And you can't think of anything better to do than to go eat from that one stinking fruit tree that God told you not to eat from. (laughs) Come on now. And they went and and they, they, they had... Forbidden fruit salad, if you will. (laughs) And you might recall that the Bible, God had told them before they did it. After God said, hey, eat anything you want. (laughs) Do anything you want. Just don't touch that center tree. God had told them, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. Die. Now, this has never struck me until I was getting ready for this uh, message today. It's not like the word of the Lord says, if you eat of it. In this particular translation, in the day you eat of it. It's as if God knew, hey, this is what they're going to do. So they bought the lie. The lie was that they could have it. The enemy tempted them. The lie was that now God doesn't mean that. You can go eat that fruit. They ate the fruit. They bought the lie. God knows it. You know the story. God's walking in the garden in the cool of the morning. He's going to talk to Adam and Eve about this failure, about this disobedience, about this sin. Now, you might be wondering if you know the story, what is God going to do? Is God just going to blink an eye at it? Is God just going to wink at the whole situation? Is God really going to do what God said he was going to do? And then you get to this verse right here in verse 21. And you know Adam is going, "Uh uh-oh, we're done, we're done. Here he comes. But in Genesis 3, 21, the word of the Lord says this, And God, God took the skin of an animal and did what, church? Clothed their nakedness. Now here's a question for you. Have you ever thought about this? How did God get the skin? To get the skin from an animal. Come on, come on. This is not in the text, but you just got to read into it. To get the skin from an animal, what? An animal had to what? Die. An animal had to die. And God clothed their shame and their guilt. And most people read right over that. And I just want to stop in Genesis real quickly before I move to Isaiah and the New Testament. Just to point out for you that all the way back in Genesis, we see a, a foreshadowing, if you will, of this concept of substitute atonement. Fast forward to about the year 800 BC. The prophet Isaiah, I read this this verse um, earlier, pierced for our transgressions, Isaiah 53, 5. Why don't we read it out loud together? All of our campuses, let's go together. Ready? Go. Pierced for our transgressions. He was for our iniquities. The punishment that what? 
was upon him. Let's continue. And by his wounds we are healed. Do you see it? The prophet said, time out. Time out. There is coming a person. Up until this point, they've had all these animal sacrifices. And you can rest assured when Isaiah said this in Isaiah 53, 5, the people were like, whoa, time out here. You're actually telling me that there is going to be a live person who is going to actually be pierced for our transgressions? You're talking about a human sacrifice? Now go to the New Testament. I'm just making, through, making my way through the Bible here. Roll the clock ahead to the New Testament. There's a guy whose name was John. We've talked about him in this series, remember? He's the guy who baptized Jesus. John the baptizer. Okay? He's going around and, and, and people, and he's telling people, hey, the time is near. Y'all have heard Isaiah prophesy about it. The time is coming. When God, the Lamb of God, is about to appear. And he's preaching this message and he's baptizing all these people. And remember what happens in John chapter 1. Jesus arrives on the scene. And in verse 29, the Bible says this. You read the last one so good. Let's read it out loud together. All of our campuses. John 1, 29. Ready? Go. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Roll ahead. Holy Week. Jesus entering Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Not what they expected. Goes in. To the city of Jerusalem. Those of you who went to the Holy Land with me. You walked this with me earlier in 2012. Jesus comes to the Mount of Olives. It's high. It's looking down into Jerusalem. Interestingly enough today as you look down the Mount of Olives. You see this huge concrete cemetery that's going into Jerusalem. It's so steep, you can't hardly walk it. You ever walk down a hill where you kind of have to slowly run and stop yourself as gravity pulls you down? Physically and spiritually and literally, it started at the top of the Mount of Olives and it was downhill from there. He goes into the temple Goes outside, curses the fig tree. I actually do think it was Jesus on a bad day. Sends word to the disciples to go to the upper room and prepare the Lord's Supper, which we're going to celebrate here on Thursday night. Listen, 7 o'clock Thursday night, all of our campuses, you guys are not having it at the campuses, come to Central Campus. We're going to have Holy Communion. We're going to commemorate that night that he broke the bread and lifted the wine. After breaking the bread and lifting the wine, he was tried, found guilty as an insurrectionist to Rome. Not found guilty as the Son of God, church. Found guilty as an insurrectionist to Rome. They asked him, and they had been asking him, Are you the one? He's got this secrecy motif going on in the New Testament. And they're asking him, are you the one? But finally he says, I am the one. Goes back up another hill on the other side of Jerusalem. Where he climbs on a cross. He laid his life down, church. Don't ever believe that they made him die. He laid his life down. That's what the Mark 10 45 was about. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and offer his life as a what? No, no, no. As a ransom, remember? As a ransom for many. Yes, it was a sacrifice, but it was a ransom. Climbs back up on the cross. Hangs there for six long hours on that dark 
Good Friday. Interesting that we call it good. Crown of thorns slammed upon his head, spear in his side, shed blood. That fountain that we sang about earlier, come thou fount. That fountain of precious blood. When it was all said and done and he breathed his last breath. Crucifixion was a painful, atrocious death. You died from shock and asphyxiation. You basically, you basically suffocated up there. You couldn't lift your lungs up high enough to suck another lung full of air. And so after that went on all that time, right before he died, he said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Translated, it is finished. What was finished? Substitute atonement. I want to I actually put it on the cross for you. There he hung. There he bled. There he died. And as he hung there, he declared, this is finished. Have you ever thought, what is finished? Substitute atonement. Substitute. Remember, I defined it. It's taking the place of another. Question. Pause. Time out. Who was he a substitute for? The answer that I hope most of you just thought of was me. Like, who was he a substitute for, church? Me. You saying me. Me saying me. We saying me. Sure, us is right. Yeah, I know. You can go plural if you want. But for you to grasp the core of Christianity, you got to understand that the person... For which he was a substitute is me. I should have been on that cross. You should have been on that cross. You might say, well, why? Because we're sinners. Because you've fallen short of the glory of God. I have fallen short of the glory of God. We still fall short of the glory of God and every time you fall short every time you sin in action or thought it should be a reminder for you that Jesus Christ took the hit he was the substitute for you and for me you see church there are really only two Approaches to this thing we called life. Two approaches. This is what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. Every other world religion, in some way, shape, or form, is about a kind of self improvement plan, a, a self substitute atonement plan. Where you, 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 you're just trying to depend on yourself. You're just trying to do better. And if I can only be better and act better and do better and all of that kind of stuff. It's, it's the self-improvement plan. Go to any bookstore. It's everywhere. Self-help. And if you've known me, if you're new around here, I'm all about getting better and becoming a better person. But we don't get better by straining and white-knuckling life and trying to earn our way into heaven. We actually get better by standing before a blood-stained cross and realizing I should be there. That Jesus Christ took the hit for me. He was my substitute. That I am a sinner. And so therefore, remember the illustration earlier? Like when I do wrong, there needs to be a consequence. There needs to be payment. There needs to be a penalty. 
There needs to be atonement. And that he provided that in my stead. And you just, you just keep reading the New Testament and then it just starts to totally make sense. John 1.12 says this. I want everybody to get this. You've got to be clear on this. To all who what, church? To all who what? To those who what? He gave the right to become children of God. Amen. So be it. Romans 10.13 Romans 10, 13, read one more scripture with me. Those who call on the name of the Lord will be, will be what? Saved based upon a self-improvement plan? Saved based upon how good I can be? Saved based solely upon, listen, 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 listen. The substitute atonement of Jesus. Being reconciled to God through the substitute atonement of Jesus Christ. Peter Drucker was a guru in the business world. I'm looking at some of you, you're great, great business leaders. You know Peter Drucker. Phenomenal mastermind, wrote more books later in his life than earlier in his life. At the age of 90, Newsweek magazine, at the age of 90, listen, not Newsweek, Fortune magazine, said that Peter Drucker was one of the youngest and brightest minds in the world at the age of 90. He died in about 2005, if I remember correctly. I'll never forget the week that I got to spend with Peter Drucker at Asbury Theological Seminary in Kentucky. My dean of the program brought him in and we spent a week together. After he poured into us for a week, just raw, pure leadership stuff, our time was wrapping up. And, and I asked Peter Drucker, I said, what, what caused a brilliant man like you, a smart man like you at the pinnacle of the business, corporate, secular world to become a Christian? And Peter Drucker said, quote unquote, I'll never forget it. He said, because grace is the best deal that ever came down the pike. And he was done with it. Yeah, yeah. Grace, church. It's the best deal to ever come down the pike. Grace. We say that word a lot. What does it really mean? I wanted to give you two more words so that you fully understood it. Grace at its core, the grace of Jesus, substitute atonement. Will you pray with me? All heads bowed, eyes closed. What are your expectations of Jesus? Do you know him? Have you ever fully relied solely, completely, utterly upon the substitute atonement of Jesus Christ for your salvation? As he came into Jerusalem that day, the crowds yelled, Hosanna. They were basically yelling, save us. Seriously, with all heads bowed, eyes closed. Have you ever had a moment where you said, God, I realize I can't do it on my own. I've tried the self-improvement plan. I've tried the self-justification atonement plan. And today, for some reason, God, the gospel has just become crystal clear to me. And you're here and you would, you would want to say before God... I need that gospel. Now I understand why they call it good news. And you would throw yourself on the grace of God. And you would rely and base 
your salvation and your adoption as a child of God, you would put your eternal stake on the back of Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you would do that today for the first time or the tenth time, I just want you to ask, raise your hand right where you are. Just raise your hand. All eyes closed, heads bowed. Just raise it up high. Raise it up high. I want to pray for you. Just keep it up high. Wow. Yes, I see all of you. All of you all over this place. All the way in the back, sir, ma'am, sir. All of, yeah, wow. Just hold them up. Father, salvation has come. Salvation is happening. Even in this moment, Father, darkness is trembling and being pushed back. And the light of Christ is being raised up as the one and only Savior of the world who took our hit. Father, for all the hands that have, that have raised today, and even for those who might not have raised their hands, but they're feeling it on the inside. Father, would you save us? We rely not on self, but we rely on Jesus. Now we worship you, God. This is our God. This is our Savior. We worship you, we praise you, we receive you in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Yeah, clap at all of our campuses. Go ahead and stand to your feet, all of our campuses. I want you to stand with us as we move into this great song, This Is Our God. I do want to say this, though, and your campus pastors will remind you later. After this song, we're going to respond and I want to invite you to mark your connect card. If you just accepted Christ, there were hands all over this place. I want you to mark your connect card. There's a place for you to say, I just accepted Christ. Or I rededicated my life to Christ. We would love, 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 love to know about that and hear about that. But for now, let's worship Jesus. This is our God. This is our God. This is the gospel. This is good news. I'm going to hand it back off to the campus pastors while you worship him now as we worship him here. Amen. Let's go. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at www.newhopenc.org. And if you have any prayer requests, please send those to prayers at newhopenc.org. And our pastors and staff will stand with you in prayer. God bless and have a great week.